the book of the Nazarene and the book of John the Enlightened of Elohim were included together in a text known as the Gospel of the Kaleidi, meaning wise strangers. The origins of this work are debated, as no original manuscripts have ever been found. However, it is commonly believed that the books were preserved and passed down by Celtic believers in the 1500s after previously being saved from arson, possibly either the burning of the Library of Alexandra or the Glastonbury Abbey fire in 1184. It has been tucked away alongside a secular work known as the Colburn. However, they don't remotely share any similarities. Whether this is a complete and divinely inspired text can certainly be debated. Nevertheless, we do believe that it contains the words from our Messiah that were not captured in the canonical gospel accounts. As stated by the Apostle John, if everything the Messiah did were recorded, all of the books in the world could not contain them. In this volume, you will find astonishing parables, new and old, that will challenge your walk. Join us as we test this book, allowing the Spirit of the Most High to guide us unto what is true. Hey, Shabbat Shalom, and welcome back, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Parable of the Vineyard Stream. My name is Adam, and I welcome you. This is part 21 of our Book of the Nazarim study, uh, to which we probably should be finishing up chapter 15 this week. So, uh, as always, lots to um, lots to cover, so let's get on with it. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, Yahuwah, Most High, we just come before you, and we bless you and praise you, and thank you, Father, for the Shabbat. We thank you for this rest. We thank you for the week we've had so far, Father. And we thank you, of course, uh, for sending us your son, Messiah Yahushua, the word. Father, we ask that you bless this study, that as we read these words, you'd help us understand them and apply them to our lives, Father. And we just thank you so much for allowing us to gather together on a platform like this. And uh, we just we thank you for everything. We thank you for life. We know that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth and all things contained in it. And we just want to honor you, Father. We just want to walk according to your ways. We want to walk like Messiah walked. Help us. Bless us, and we bless you in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen. Um, it's been requested that I no more, no longer do road shofar and do live shofar. So let's get our shofars ready, and uh, let's blow them. What do you say? <laughs> Oof, that was probably pretty loud. <laughs> I saw the red meter thing pinging. All right, um, let's let's get on with it. Let's go to um, actually. I want to share just two two quick passages, real quickly, just reminding us why we are studying this. People like, you know, I get I get uh, this comment all the time: is like, isn't the Bible enough? Why do you have to go outside the Bible? And here's why. This is Second Ezra chapter fourteen. Um, long story short, all the books were burned in the when the Babylonians took. Um, uh, sieged um, Jerusalem, destroyed it. Everything was burnt, and Ezra was like, please let us restore. He's like, I can teach the people today, but what happens for the people in the last days who want to find the way? Um, and so uh, the Most High uh, gives Ezra and the five scribes. It says here, uh, so during the 40 days, 94 books were written. Now, some manuscripts say 204 books were written. This is Old Testament um, era. And so 
out of 94 books, uh, 24 in the Tanakh, well, 39, um, and how they how they divide it up um, in our um, in our Bibles today. So only 39 of those 94 books made it, and that's Old Testament time. So my thing, and and here's what it says. It says, and when the 40 days were ended, the Most High spoke to me saying, make public the 24 books that you wrote first and let the worthy and unworthy read them, but the 70 that were written last in order to give them to the wise among your people, for in them is the spring of understanding, the fountain of wisdom, and the river of knowledge. And so the Most High says, hey, these set of books, it's for everyone to read. Believers, scoffers, whoever, read it. There's going to be other books that are going to be for the wise. And I don't know about you. I know Proverbs 25, 2 says, It is the glory of Elohim to conceal a thing. So if he wants to conceal certain books, that's his glory. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. And so for me, um, I, I thoroughly enjoy the 66-book canon, but I feel as though the Ruach has put it on me to go on a journey of searching out these other books and learning from them and applying to them to my life. And I'm here to share that with you. And that's why we're reading the book of the Nazarene. This is something that got placed on my lap. I read it and then I read it again. And I'm like, wow, this really needs to be tested more. And this needs to be shared with the body. So here we are. All right. Book of Nazarene, chapter 15. We're at, um, we ended at verse 21. So we're supposed to start at 22, but uh, I want to reread 21 because it actually kind of goes hand in hand with the rest of it. So let's get on with it. Seeing how those present scrambled for the the best seats, Yahushua said, when invited to a feast, do not rush for the best seats, because the host may have special guests in mind to occupy them. So, if you have grabbed one of these seats, he will come and request you to vacate it in favor of another, and you will then have to take a seat not wanted by anyone else. When invited as a guest, it is wiser to take one of the less desirable places. Then your host will come and escort you to a better seat. Thus, the other guests will see that the host holds you in high regard. It is a rule of life that whoever makes himself out to be more important than he is will be humiliated, while he who is modest will be exalted. So we talked quite a bit about this last week, so we're not going to retread that, but this goes into the same, um, it's the same uh, setting, so let's keep going. Yahushua said, Most of you here give formal feasts, and all have more food and the good things of life than they need. So they have abundance. Yet because your stomachs have never been empty, you cannot understand the sufferings of the underprivileged. But if adversity descend upon you, the cry goes up, Woe is me! Can there be an Elohim when I am thus afflicted? Do you not understand that misfortune and tribulation must be sent to such as you? For in what other way will you learn compassion? And so obviously, uh, it seems like we're talking about the same things every week. Um, but really, I mean, whether you read the book of the Nazarim or you read the gospel accounts, the, the four the four canonical gospel accounts, this is what Messiah teaches. Care for others. Put less importance on yourself and more on others. And uh, just to remind ourselves, James 2, 14 through 17, what use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? So it's just like, I believe and, you know, go, you know, go on with your life. Can that faith save him? So this is a pretty interesting question. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And so Messiah is talking about, hey, you have this abundance here, and you're not caring for the underprivileged. You haven't ever been hungry, and you can't even understand what their sufferings are. 
First uh, uh, John three sixteen through eighteen, we know love by this. So he's defining love right here, that he laid down his life for us. So Messiah, the ultimate act of love for us, is just literally laying down his his uh, his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. And now, of course, we can that can be to the extreme, like literally giving up our lives for one another. Um, but even just the small things, um, just you know, covering each other in prayer, thinking about those who are, are suffering or in need, who have suffered loss or, or going through this thing, pray for them, but also to help them, literally. So if they're like, you know, short on money, help them out. If they're, uh, if they, you know, need clothing or their children need clothing, help them out. Uh, if they need some food, help them out. But whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of Elohim remain in him? Little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So actions. We serve the Elohim of actions, not just empty words. His words carry weight. Ours should too. And our actions should reflect our words as well. It says here that uh, adversity but adversity, uh, I'm sorry, but if adversity is descend upon you, the cry goes up, woe is me. Can there be an Elohim when I'm thus afflicted? Do you not understand that misfortune and tribulation must be sent to you? Um, this is a um, passage in 2 Esdras, uh, 655 through 714. If you're new, 2 Esdras uh, was included in the Apocrypha of the 1611 KJV. Um, and it says this, all this, this is Ezra, by the way, the same Ezra we were talking about earlier. All this I have spoken before you, O Yahuwah, because you have said that it was for us that you did create this world. Ezra was like lamenting, like, why, you know, why are we in captivity and why, why have we been destroyed? And as for the other nations which have descended from Adam, you have said that they are nothing and that they are like spittle. And you have compared their abundance to a drop from a bucket. And now, O Yahuwah, behold, these nations which are reputed as nothing domineer over us and devour us. Nothing's changed. We're in the same place today. But we, your people, whom you have called your firstborn, only begotten, zealous for you, and most dear, have been given into their hands. If the world has indeed been created for us, why do we not possess our world as an inheritance? How long will this be so? Chapter 7, when I had finished speaking these words, the angel who had been sent to me on the former nights was sent to me again. And he said to me, Rise, Ezra, and listen to the words that I have come to speak to you. I said, Speak, my master. And he said to me, There is a sea set in a wide expanse, so that it is broad and vast, but it has an entrance set in a narrow place, so that it is like a river. If anyone then wishes to reach the sea, to look at it or to navigate it, how can he come to the broad part unless he passes through the narrow part? Another example. There is a city built and set on a plain, and it is full of all good things. But the entrance to it is narrow and set in a precipitous place, so that there is fire on the right hand and deep water on the left. And there is only one path lying between them, that is, between the fire and the water, so only one man can walk upon that path. If now that city is given to a man for an inheritance, how will the heir receive his inheritance unless he passes through the danger set before him? So this is obviously a parable about New Jerusalem, um, the, the kingdom, how can we get there unless we pass through the dangers that set before us? I said, he cannot master. And he said to me, so also is Israel's portion, for I made the world for their sake. And when Adam transgressed my statutes, what had been made was judged. And so the entrances of this world were made narrow and sorrowful and toilsome. They are few and evil and full of dangers and involved in great hardships. But the entrances of the greater world are broad and safe and really yield the fruit of immortality. So if we want to get to this broad place, we have to go through the narrow place first. Just like Messiah said, um, 
Broad is the way to destruction, narrow is the way to life, and few there be that find it. Therefore, unless the living pass through the difficult and vain experiences, they can never receive those things that have been reserved for them. As we've been mentioning almost through this entire uh, series, is the testings are part of life. It's part of, literally, this life is not it. This is literally just, if if you take our 70, 80, whatever many years we live, compared to eternity, it's nothing. And so if we can look at things in an eternal, with an eternal mindset, you know, we, you know, it's, it's, it's a little easier for us to digest and be like, you know what? Okay. I am looking forward to eternity. I can deal with this. I can handle this because I know this is only temporary. And I know that what's to come is greater because that should be the basis of our faith because Messiah, he resurrected. That's, literally impossible by the standards that we understand human human ways human standards fleshly standards but according to the spirit that's it's a miracle and he gives us that same promise so the point is is life is a big old test who are you who are you going to serve who are you going to trust who are you going to fear literally and so we go through these things for him to be like are you for real and I know I've mentioned this a lot over the years, uh, and it might seem like I, I, I say the same things a lot, but, but we read that passage last week from Peter. You know, he, he kept telling them the same things. He's like, I'm teaching this, even though you already know it, I'm, I'm going to keep stirring you up. We've got to focus on the basics. Life is just a vapor compared to what's, what's to come. John 16, 1 through 4, I have said all this to you to keep you from falling away. So that's the whole point of why he continues to stir us up as to why things are going to be hard, why it's going to be difficult, why the red carpet's not going to just be rolled out for you once you start believing. I've said all these things to keep you from falling away. And I am wanting to remind you as well. They will put you out of the synagogues. A lot of you um, were kicked out of churches for just asking questions like, hey, why aren't we keeping the Sabbath? Uh, What's the book of Enoch? Um, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to Elohim and you know maybe in our day people aren't, aren't killing us but maybe smiting us with their words smiting us with their actions and they will do this because they have not known the father nor me but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes you may remember that I told you of them I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you John sixteen thirty three. I have said this to you that in me you may have peace or shalom in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So he's saying, hey, look at me. He's saying, look at look at my life. Look at look at all the the slanders and the gossiping and the beatings and literally killing me for standing for truth. So and he says, you know, if if they've said these things unto me, unto the master, what the, what shall they say unto you? And so we shouldn't expect, you know, any easier time than him now of course he he bore the hardest punishment that anybody can uh, can uh, go through and um but we should look to his example that you 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 gird up your loins you you stay strong you stay resolute steadfast overcome be an overcomer um endure to the end and if so we get the same we get to be co-heirs with him we get to be resurrected with him. We get to have everlasting bodies. No more pain. No more sickness. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more death. No more losing loved ones. No more financial distress. Those things are promised to us then. Not now. Now some of us may have financial security. Some of us may have health. And some of us may have prosperity in these things. He, 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 he gives to who he gives. But that's not the promise here. The promise is when it's to come. 
this one right, right here. But if adversity descend upon you, the cry goes up, woe is me. <laughs> this is something I got to work on too. I, I, As I've shared with you before, when I share these things with you, it's not st me standing up here or sitting here saying, I've got it all figured out. Yeah, check me out, bro. No, I struggle with this too. So like when, when things come out, like literally this last week or so has been really hard. The last six months, actually ever since Hebrew Fest, it's been nonstop testing. It's been nonstop um, persecution. It's been nonstop slandering. It's been nonstop gossip. It's been nonstop uh, divisions. It's been nonstop everything. And sometimes when it gets overwhelming, I'm like, help me. My mind. And I, and I never say, you know, can there be an Elohim when I'm this afflicted? I, I, I don't get into that, but I'm definitely like, woe is me. You know, and, and we should we should look to like Job who lost everything, right? And stayed steadfast. What about Joseph when he was locked up for 12, 13 years for, for nothing? And he stayed steadfast and resolute. So Sirach, uh, also known as Ecclesiasticus, not Ecclesiastes, the, this was included in the Greek Septuagint and the, um, the Apocrypha of the uh, 1611 KJV and others. It says, my son, if you come forward to serve Yahuwah, prepare yourself for temptation. This also, this word can mean trial or tribulation. So it's like, hey, and like a lot of us have experienced, our life doesn't get easier when coming to this walk. It gets harder, but it's good for us. Look at the Israelites of old. When things got easy, they got complacent. Like, ah, I got everything I need. I'll start serving this by all and blah, blah, blah. When, I don't know about you, but when things are tough, I pray more. When things are tough, I, I, I'm, I seek more. When things are tough, I, I, I don't know. I want to know him more. I want to study more. I want to, it's like it draws you closer. It's a, it's a weird phenomenon. But as we can see, the spiritual realm, the spiritual kingdom is different than the physical. Messiah says the leader is the lowest. He serves, right? He who is first will be last. The last will be first. And so, we're taught that, you know, having everything at our fingertips, the nice home and the car and comfy convenience and, you know, all this stuff, you know, that's, that's the pinnacle of success in life. And that's, that's happiness. Eh, not so, not so. Anyways, I'll, I'll say more on that, but it says, my son, if you come forward to serve Yahuwah, prepare yourself for temptation because he's going to be like, I'm going to see if you're for real. Set your heart right and be steadfast and do not be hasty in time of calamity. So like when things are going on, don't be like, ah, I got I to do this. Wait for him. Be patient. Cleave to him and do not depart that you may be honored at the end of your life. That's really because that's the whole point of this is our glorification, our our exaltation is not here in this realm, but it's what's to come. So if we humble it, so that's the whole thing. If we humble ourselves now, if we if we're if we're meek now, if we if we serve now, we'll be glorified, we'll be exalted in the life to come. And then a little bit further on in that chapter, verses 12 through 17, Woe to timid hearts and to slack hands and to the sinner who walks along two ways. Woe to the faint heart for it has no trust. So when we faint, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I give up or I, I can't do this anymore. That, that's a lack of trust. Therefore, it will not be sheltered. Woe to you who have lost your endurance. Right? We're supposed to finish into the end. This is like Paul said, it's like a race. Run with, run, run with endurance, run with patience. So woe to you who have lost your endurance. What will you do when Yahweh punishes you? Those who, and this is why people fall away. And that's why we see the parable of the seeds. You know, when, when trouble or persecution arises for the word, by and by they are offended and they fall away. 
Those who fear Yahuwah will not disobey his words, and those who love him will keep his ways. Those who fear Yahuwah will seek his approval, and those who love him will be filled with the law, the Torah. Hallelujah. We're on the right path. Those who fear Yahuwah will prepare their hearts and will humble themselves before him. You messed up, humble yourself before him. Right? Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be stiff-necked. Um, and just remember, like, again, this is kind of what I was saying, is the hard times should be looked at as a blessing. Like, hallelujah! That's what Messiah says, you know, um, bl uh, bless are those who are persecuted for righteousness, righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, the, are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all men are things falsely against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. So we've got to fix something in our mind that when trial comes, we can be like, yes. Woohoo. Where you at, Elliot Ferguson out there? Woo! Praise ya! First Peter 4, 12-17 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you but to the, to, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Messiah keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. So he's saying this is the goal. The goal is not prosperity here. Right, even though uh, he can reward us at times, and we can have times of abundance, and you know he can bless us in many ways, bless us with children, and bless us with you know um, all sorts of things. But the real reward, nothing compares to what's to come. So that at the revelation of his glory, you may be re rejoice and be overjoyed. That's the goal. That's the finish line. That's where our hearts should be. If you are insulted for the name of Messiah, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of Elohim rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffer as murderers or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian or not serene or um, set apart one, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify Elohim in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of Elohim. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of Elohim? So this is what I was mentioning at uh, the local Shabbat uh, service last week is the separation of the wheat and tares. It's been taught, you know, very often that the wheat are believers in Messiah and the and the tares are, you know, the, the atheists and the um, unbelievers and whoever. Nah, -uh. I believe that this this field is his field and believers are in there and they grow up. Right. But when they grow up and they mature, they they mature no fruit or uh, whatever, and, and it says at the end of the world, right before the harvest comes, the angels come and he, they sever the wicked from the uh, from the uh, the righteous and throw them in and burn them. So I believe this is what it's talking about. Judgment begins with the household of Elohim. He separates the chaff from the wheat. He separates the tares from the wheat. He separates the goat from the sheep. He separates the the um, the those who love versus the, those who do not love, um, so on and so forth. So. Anyways, um, I think we spent uh, quite a bit of time on verse 22 of chapter 15. So um, anyways, for some of us, uh, you know, the lessons are different. Some people have to learn compassion through being humbled. Uh, some people have to learn um, to listen to him through through these these hard times. It, it varies. We all have different um, different weaknesses, different strengths. And so we're chastened and, and refined in different ways. 
All right, Nazarene 15, verse 23. When giving a feast, read the intentions of your heart. So it's like before you do anything, and this isn't just giving a feast. I believe this can apply to many things in life. Uh, giving a, you know, in our world, um, you know, entertaining, you know, entertaining, inviting people over your house to, for dinner, or when you give, or, um, you know, when you pray, whatever. When you read the intentions of your heart, when you, when you're doing something, why are you doing it? Are you giving it solely for the love of those invited, which is a good thing, or do you seek to gain something from it? Are your motives centered on yourself or on others? Also, it is not surely, tr- oh, I'm sorry, is it not surely true that if you can afford to give a feast or indulge in good food, you can afford to provide for others who are underprivileged? Who is it that feeds the poor and needy? Is it not the poor themselves? And do not the rich entertain only the rich? I can assure you, it will not be so under the rule of Elohim. So, like I said, this is, it's not just when you, you know, invite people over your house. And, and he says, and we'll read it in another passage. Um, I thought I had that here. Maybe I don't. But when you give a feast, you know, invite the the lion, the, the lime, the lame, the blind, the poor, uh, the destitute, the, the rejects. Um, bring people to your house that can't repay you. It shouldn't just be like a, a ritual soiree where you invite people that are, you know, wealthy over so that maybe they'll, they'll um, not just invite you to their house. Maybe they'll, they'll uh, do other good things for you, or maybe you're just trying to get in good with them. But tr- uh, truly as followers of Messiah, we should be doing things solely for the love of others. And we should ask the same thing ourselves when we give. Are we give because we want to feel better and feel like we've done our part? Or do you really have compassion for people that are hurting, that are in need and say, you know what? I want to help because out of the goodness of my heart, I want to help. Not just because we have to and he says we should or whatever, but we should do it from a willing and wanting heart. Matthew 6, 1 through 6. Take heed that you do not your alms or your you know, your charity or giving before men to be seen of them like we see in today's world. Um, you know, even Christians are like they're videoing themselves like, you know, uh, you know, given to a poor man. Look at this. Look at this poor guy. I'm going to give him a hundred dollars. Watch this. You know, All right. did you put that on camera because, um, you know, of your love for that person you're giving to, or because you want others to see how good you are to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have the reward. Uh, very similarly, you know, you, th- you think to yourself like, gosh, you know, people like Bill Gates and all, they, they give billions or millions of dollars away, you know, a year, but it's all in public. It's all for everyone to see, you know, and so they've got the reward. But when you do your alms, so when you do your giving, let not your left hand know what your right hand does, doeth, sorry, that thine alms may be in secret and your father, which sees in secret himself shall reward you openly. Now also consider this, this can be a snare too. Are we doing things just for the reward? Hopefully not, right? I mean, earlier I was talking about the reward of uh, eternal life. Hopefully we're not serving the father uh, praising him, worshiping him, singing to him, studying the word, trying to be a little more like Messiah, you know, being baptized. Hopefully we're not doing all that just for the reward. The reward should be just a, a little bonus, a, like a wow. That's the goal, right? But truly, where we find real shalom and a real fulfilling life is when we do it out of a willing heart, to be men and women after Yah's own heart like David was. He loved to do good. He loved uh, the people. He loved to to honor Yah. He, he, he loved it. 
And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say to you, they have the reward. And I, I, you see this in Judaism, you know, they do their, their like thing. And so everybody can see how righteous they are and, you know, um, all sorts of things. Uh, but you, when you pray, enter into your closet. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father, which is in secret and your father, which sees in secret shall reward you openly. Now you may be asking yourself, um, well, Adam, you prayed at the beginning of this study. I think there's a difference of, of, um, being in a congregation and asking Yah to to bless us, to guide us when we study His Word, um, to help us understand things, versus you know when, there's different types of prayer when you're praying. Um, you know those those deep secret prayers that you know that, that should be really pleasing in Yah's eyes when you're praying for certain people or whatever. Maybe some of those things should be done in secret. You know, and hopefully hopefully you understand the difference. All right. Um, Oh, yeah, here's the passage that I was talking about. Luke 14, 12 through 14. Now he went, uh, no, I'm sorry. Now he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, whenever you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor wealthy neighbors. Otherwise, they may invite you to a meal in return, and that will be your repayment. But whenever you give a banquet, invite people who are poor, who have disabilities, who are limping, and people who are blind. You will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So once again, I know it's maybe sounds repetitive, but we are here to take care of the weak. And if you're the weak, pray for the strong that they may have the strength to endure and, and have the mind and the wherewithal to, to help uh, for those in need. It's like a, should be like a synergy that the, the, the strong should be, taking care of the weak the weak should be praying for the strong and so on and so forth and of course the strong should be praying for the weak too also but it should be like a um a cyclical thing that never stops mm, book not serene 1524 many say but the poor are poor through no fault of ours so like hey my problem i didn't make those financial blunders they did but I tell you that if many of you were as good as some of the poor, you would not be wallowing in luxury. How many here can truly say, my goodness has brought me riches? Mm, it's hard times. You know, I wanted to share, uh, let's see. I want to share something. Something that was really eye-opening to me. So this is the global wealth distribution. This is where all the money of the world sits. So interesting. So all these little bodies here, this makes up all the people in the world. You see this one guy right here? 1.1% of the global population held nearly half of the world's total wealth. Right? And then these little guys right here, just this little section right here, they own 39.1% of the wealth. So this is... The rich, and this is the ultra-rich. Or, I'm sorry, yeah. So, yeah, so ultra-rich, rich. And then you've got this group of people right here. About 32% of the population owns 13% of the wealth. And then you've got over half, 55% only own 1% of the wealth. And so you can see how greed works uh, and the way that this world works. This is... Uh, this is a definitely a top-down society, and we can see that everything we see in the kingdom is completely opposite. Those who are exalted now shall be humbled. Um, those who are humbled now shall be exalted. Um, the first shall be last. The last shall be first. Um, 
the the exalted should be servants to 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 the others, and so it's just completely completely opposite. And I want to uh, read another uh, passage here from the writings of Abraham. Um, this is included in a volume called the Book of the Order of the Ancients. Uh, so the, a link to this this PDF will be in the, the the study notes, which will be in the description box. But I want to read a, a passage from the writings of Abraham. Uh, we're going to read chapter twenty nine. We're going to read verses two through twelve. Now, the writings of Abraham, um, we did a study on this uh, years ago, or at least a, a read-through with some commentary. And uh, this is not the same book. Uh, people people falsely attribute this to uh, the book of Abraham, which is in the Mormon text. This is not the same text. It's completely different. This is called the writings of Abraham. Uh, this was found in Egypt, um, in a papyrus. Anyways, uh, but it says here, but it, this is Abraham with his whole household, all his servants, everything, traveling, and they were going to Ur. But at length we did arrive in the land of Shinar at the city of Ur. Now the size of this city was immense. Its buildings were grand and beautiful with gardens upon the rooftops and rivers of water running down from level to level. The streets were wide and smooth and the inhabitants wealthy, dwelling in luxury. Merchant caravans continually entered and left her gates and the great of all the nations came here to pay homage to the mighty King Nimrod. Nevertheless, listen to this, the wealth of this great city was built upon sin for the people served many idol Elohim and offered upon their altars men, women, and children after the same manner as the Egyptians. We know um, that the wealthy and the ruling elite, quote-unquote, the ones that literally serve Satan and the powers of darkness still do the same things today. And here it is right here. And they had numerous slaves who were kept down in bondage and poverty and were driven like dumb beasts to provide the luxury in which their masters dwelt. That is exactly how the world operates today. Literally, these people right here are making these people do all the work and literally putting them in a perpetual debt slavery bondage. Very similar to what happened in, in Egypt with the children of Israel, but in a more spiritual way. And actually still very physical. I mean, they're not literally don't have us, uh, most of us in shekels and, and whipping us, but uh, they're, they're driving us uh, as cattle in a different way. Um, so they had numerous slaves who were kept down in bondage and poverty and were driven like dumb beasts to provide the luxury in which their masters dwelt. Behold, the inhabitants of the city did delight in whoredom and adultery and murder and all manner of evil whereby they might get gain. Sounds like uh, something familiar. And the anger of Yahuwah was kindled against them. Nevertheless, he did, he did let them go on. They might, might fully, I'm sorry. He did let them go on that they might be fully ripened in iniquity before the fullness of his wrath should fall upon them. All these things did Yahweh show unto me in a dream on the night before we entered into the city of Ur. And he said to me, Abram, this city is vile and corrupt, but in it are some few souls who have not bowed the knee to their idol Elohim. And it is because of their prayers that I have brought you here that they might be taught to worship the true Elohim after the order of heaven and be led out from wickedness and bondage. Brothers and sisters, what's changed today? We live, it doesn't matter if you're in America or anywhere else in, in the world right now, most of the world operates like this, this top-down society, right? And full of adultery and wickedness and evil and murder and, and um, false, false worship. But there are few souls who have not bowed the knee. There are a few souls who are, are, are wanting truth, are searching with all their heart. And, and, and just maybe, just maybe, you know, if we are ready to explain the hope that's within us, as Peter states, that we should be ready, 
Perhaps he might put you in front of one of those souls. If you if you haven't watched uh, the Pilgrim's Progress, the 2019 cartoon version, you see the uh, that's an, um, first of all an amazing movie. Um, I, I would highly recommend it. Um, could be a little frightening for some of the little ones because um, the demons are actually kind of scary. Uh, the devil's a big old red you know red dragon. He's pretty scary looking too. But anyways, the point is uh, on on the Pilgrim's Path, he has to walk through. Uh, a city um, called um, Vanity Fair. Uh, a city called Vanity Fair, and it's just literally it's a twenty four seven party. But he he had to go through it in major testings, and you know literally one of one of the guys died gave their, gave their life. But there was one person in there who was ready to hear the gospel, ready to hear the truth, and he came out of that city with him. And so my point is is that. There's people all around us who are like completely lost. It doesn't matter if they're drunks or drug addicts or LGBTQIATA plus. People are just deceived, right? There's an old adage and maybe uh, you know, um, cliche, but hate the sin, not the sinner. I don't know about you, but I used to be steeped in the world and I was completely oblivious, completely blind of what what was up, what was down, what was right, what was wrong. All I cared about was football and money and possessions and other lustful things. And I'm thankful someone reached out and grabbed me. Said, hey, what are you doing with your life? And I'm like, I don't know. American dream? You never know. All right, I'm, I'm probably getting a little preachy here, but let's, let's get back. So anyways, uh, I want to just finalize this point with Ecclesiastes. One nine, the thing that has been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. History repeats itself. So what we just read in the, or, in, uh, the Order of the Ancients, the writings of Abraham, and how this top-down society worked and still works today. So with that in mind, uh, many say that but the poor are poor through no fault of ours. We could say, well, it's because of Gates and, and uh, United Nations and all these people and, 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 and the Pope and whoever. But I tell you, that if many of you were as good as some of the poor, you would not be wallowing in luxury. Now, I don't know how many of you listening are wallowing in luxury. Um, maybe you're not. Maybe there, there's no ultra-rich watching this, uh, more than likely. Um, but if some of you have uh, excess and some of you have abundance, right? This is just continued to look upon, you know, continued um, exhortation to look upon the poor. Uh, we're also going to go to Natsarim 4.38. Just, I, we, we've read this quite a few times during this study but just want to remind this is an amazing passage it says riches of themselves are not sinful it is what they make of men that brings them in, into ill repute because remember Abraham Isaac Jacob David Solomon all all wealthy maybe Solomon wasn't the best example but completely righteous men especially Abraham just took care of, of everyone if they were properly regarded with um, riches, if they were properly regarded as something permitting the possessor to study the books of wisdom and to redress the wrongs of the poor, then would they serve a good end. Let the rich ask themselves with sincerity, am I not wealthy because of my lack of charity and the exploitation of others or the lack of love and the exploitation of others? Is it not because I love myself more than my neighbors? Hopefully that is not uh, any of us here. All right, so let's get back to Natsrim. We're at 15, we're at 25. After this, Yahushua went and addressed a crowd near a fountain where several expressed intentions of becoming disciples. 
Yahushua said, It is sad that so many desire to become disciples without weighing the cost of discipleship. To follow me as a disciple means renouncing all home comforts, and this is not something to be lightly undertaken. Many have responsibility, responsibilities which cannot be cast onto the shoulders of others. So, to those who follow me as disciples, burden is added to burden. Apart from privations and discomforts, disciples are subject to the mockery and scorn of men. An unforeseeable suffering may be in store for them. Those who follow me, taking up my cause, but not as disciples, double the burden of their cross. So, we are to count the cost. Um, Matthew sixteen twenty four through 27. Then Messiah Yahushua said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And when I think about this, and I don't think this is like, you know, um, save, like, like, I believe that this is like save our life. Like, I want to preserve the life that I've made for myself. Right? The way I, I want to preserve the way I want to live, the way I want to serve him, the way I want to worship him. I, I believe this is more of a letting go of our own will, of our own desires. Right? Whoever save his shall save his life shall lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Matthew ten thirty two through 39 Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. Now remember, confessing him before men, remember he is the word. He's the way, the truth, and life. He's the whole word. He's not even just Genesis through Revelation. He's the whole word. And so in, in that, it's not just, hey, I am a follower of Messiah and confessing before me, but also the ways of life, how you live your life. Again, being ready to answer the hope that's in you. But whoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I come not to send peace, but a sword. Here's some of the counting the costs part. Here's some of the counting the costs. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and that daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, let's let's be reasonable with, with one another. He's not literally coming to just divide us like, I want division in your home. I want there to be... Uh, he, he obviously wants a stable home. But the point is, is he knows that fathers, mothers, wives, daughters are going to reject him, reject this, and therefore, he's telling you to count the cost. You've got to stand resolute for me even in the face of adversity of your own home, which is some of the worst that you can possibly face. I don't know about you, but having adversity or having uh, someone completely against the faith um, in your own home is one of the hardest things to experience in this walk. Maybe, maybe only second to loss, loss of life, loss of a loved one, loss of a wife or a child or, or so on and so forth. Having division in your own home I think it's way harder than public mocking, public slander, gossip. So he's giving you the extreme here. He's, he's, he's warning, count the cost here because this is going to happen. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Now, praise Yah, I've seen many families where this didn't happen, where, um, you know, the let's say the wife came into the truth and then the husband followed right after and all the children are on board and, you know, yay. You know, grandma and grandpa came in and um, actually my, uh, one of the anomalies is my wife's side of the family. 
she came into the truth and uh, she had lived a, a, a prodigal daughter life very much like me. We have a lot in common in that way of just being in the world and um, sampling what the world has to offer and recognizing that it's nothing but death. Anyways, so they saw her life completely transformed uh, by walking away. She was very humble and meek about it, just sharing. Well, lo and behold, her father, her mother, all her brothers, um, you know, even even uh, her grandmother, which just you know, passed away not too long ago, and and others in the family are are starting to you know. So the point is, sometimes this happens, but sometimes it doesn't. And so he's setting us up for some of the most extreme things, which is division in your own home. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he's not saying, you know, in some passages, he who hates not father or mother or, or, or wife, you know, for my my sake. Once again, I don't think he's telling us to hate them, but he's giving us the extreme that, you know, if if you choose wife over me or father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. So he's saying that like if, you know, this division is so hard and it causes you to back off of, you know, serving me, reading the scriptures, uh, walking this walk, you're not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes up not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Hallelujah. See our former lives. Um, oh, anyways, I... Uh, Let's keep going. Not serene, fifteen twenty-seven. If you wish to erect a house, it would be very short-sighted to commence the building without working out the cost and being sure this could be met. If the cost and money available are not first calculated, the foundations may be laid, but it will be found impossible to complete the job. Then you will become the laughing stock of the town, and people will say the fool started something he could not finish. What would be your opinion of a king who, with an army of ten thousand men, of a thousand men, marched against another with ten thousand, without carefully weighing his chances? Would he not do better to remain where he was and sue for peace? So I say to those who would become disciples, weigh the matter in your hearts. Then, if still of the same mind, give up all you hold dear and follow me. But do not come in if so doing you cast aside responsibilities and obligations. For if you do so in relation to others, you will be no less inclined to do likewise with me when the road becomes difficult. And this I have seen, unfortunately, in this movement. Um, people just l completely, um, you know, just leaving their jobs and, you know, no longer financially supporting their homes. And it's just like, hello, you know, let's let's not let's not be ridiculous here. Um, I want to I want to share a couple of the verses about weighing the cost because he says here, um, if you give up, you know, if you basically turn your back on your responsibilities, you'll be no less inclined to do likewise with me when the road becomes difficult. And so this is uh, something that we've seen quite a bit recently, um, not just our local fellowship, but we're hearing from others that. People are just leaving Messiah. They're just, we just, we're just leaving the New Testament. We're leaving Messiah. And for some, maybe it's because the road became difficult. And maybe it's the parable of the seeds. And maybe trouble and persecution arose because of the word. And they're like, yeah, see ya. Or maybe because Satan deceived them. You know, did Elohim really send his son? Is there really a New Testament? You know, you know, did you really get restored when you believed on the son of Elohim who died on the cross for you, when you repented and, and you came to him? 
did you really get, you know, off of the drugs and off the alcohol and off of your addictions? And, you know, did you, was your, was your marriage really restored, you know, through all this? And so, you know, the birds come up and take away the seeds and they fall away. But the point is, I want to share here is counting the cost of believing in Messiah and then later on not. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. Um, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 2, but false prophets also appeared among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves, you know, people who deny the master and teach so. Many will follow their indecent behavior, which we're starting to see, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And so people are like, yeah, right, the Hebrew Roots Movement, these people are denying Paul, they're denying Messiah, they're denying the whole New Testament. What, What kind of mess is this? But the way of the truth is the Torah, and so people are 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 um, people are, are scoffing and mocking the, the this movement of, of faith and obedience because of what people are doing. And for a little bit further down, verses twenty one through twenty two of Second Peter two, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb: a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow or pig, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. Hebrews 6, 4 through 8 says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of Elohim and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the son of Elohim and put him to an open shame for ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and produces vegetation useful to those whose for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from Elohim but if it yields thorns and thistles it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up and it's ends up being burned what? close to cursed and it ends up being burned and so I'm sorry I, I'm having a hard time reading today my stuttering is really coming out I used to have a really big problem when I was a child stuttering uh, which grew into a um, very big insecurity at a young age and is why one of the biggest reasons of um, public speaking was one of my greatest fears but praise you broke me of that so sorry I used to have a really big problem with stuttering and some of my problem is I, I go too fast sometimes and so just know that as I'm reading sometimes I'm like slow down slow down I'm trying I'm really trying to slow down but the point is, is it's worse for people who knew the truth and then uh, the knew the Messiah and then fall away. It's worse. It'd be worse for you in Judgment Day, for you have never to known Him or to known the truth, than to known Him and then fall away. First Peter four seventeen. For it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of Elohim, and if it begins first with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of Elohim? Luke 17, 1 through 2, now he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It is better for him if a millstone is hung around his neck and he is thrown into the sea than that he may cause one of these little ones to sin. I feel really bad for these people who are denying Messiah and teaching people to deny Messiah. And also even pastors, it's one thing for a pastor to just be oblivious to the Torah, the commandments, and just you know, teach what they've been taught all their life. It's another for people who see, you know, pastors who see this movement and see the scriptures um, that that truly prove that we are to walk in the Torah and to teach against it. Like that's going to be hard times. Luke 12, um, 47 through 48. 
And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accordance with his will will receive many blows, but the one who did not know it and committed acts of deserving a beating will receive only a few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and to whom they entrusted much of him will they ask all the more. So I believe um, when Yahuwah comes, when Yahusha comes and brings vengeance, of course he's going to bring vengeance against the nations and the wicked, but I think first, this is why he talks about um, the, the wheat and the tares, I think when he comes, it's it's harvest time. That whole field is getting, root, it's getting cut, and he first burns up and destroys the tares, the ones who called upon him, the ones who say they loved him, but either didn't bear any fruit of righteousness or that turned against him. Either way, how they made the manifest that they were a tear, he first destroys them, then gathers his people, then the rest of the of the, the end times um, is set before him. So point is, don't be a quitter. That should be the overall point here. Don't be a quitter because I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, we have everlasting life with us. We have the truth of us. We have Messiah with us. Don't let anybody take away your crown. Don't let anybody take away your prize. Don't any, let anyone take away um, everlasting life because Paul says, you know, no power or principality or, or anything can take us from the love of, of Messiah, but we can take ourselves away through our own choices. Not serving 1530. How are we doing on time? We're doing good. We're doing good. Not stream 1530. Among the crowd, there were many self-righteous people and hypocrites, self-deceivers who, interpreting the Torah to suit their own convenience, saw no wrong in themselves, who, setting themselves up as judges, were like blind men trying to sort black pebbles from white and had no more success. They said to Yahushua, you chose, you choose the wrong types. If you choose differently, we would follow, but sand does not mix with honey. Yahushua said, let me tell you a parable. Two men went into the temple to pray. So basically, they're, they're like, you know, you're surrounding yourselves with like fishermen and, and low class people and people that aren't learned. You, you know, if you chose more wise and righteous people like us, then we'd follow you. Yahushua said, let me tell you a parable. Two men went into the temple to pray, one being a self-righteous man and a self-deceiver. The other man, aware of his failings and shortcomings, the self-righteous man prayed in this manner. I praise my Elohim for many blessings, giving thanks that I am not like the majority of men, avaricious, deceitful, dishonest, and adulterous. I fast twice weekly, pay all my subscriptions, or tithes, and attend every temple gathering. The self-righteous man had a specially reserved seat, so the other was standing apart, and he prayed differently, saying, My Elohim, do not desert me. I have many failings and need strengthening so I may overcome them and be a better man. Night and day, right? Yahushua said, I assure you of this, the man who benefited from his prayer was the second one, not the first. This was because, though the first man had many virtues, he was unable to recognize his failings. The second man was, but first of all, stop here. Do you, do you know anyone in your life like this? Though the first man had many virtues, so did a lot of good things, did a lot of great things, maybe even spoke great words, he was unable to recognize his own failings. The second man was reconciled with Elohim while the other was not. He who prays must be as one looking into a mirror, not with the expectation of seeing a gratifying reflection, but seeking an image revealing his faults. If the whole body of Messiah would spend time like this, 
to reflect inwardly instead of always looking to and this is not everybody I can't say everybody but a large majority of people are always looking at the faults of others the failings of others the wrong doctrine of others can you imagine if we all looked inwardly and, and wanted correction you know teach me help me what a thriving body we would be Sirach again this is from the, the Greek Septuagint and the Apocrypha of the, the King James Sirach 35 16 through 17 says he whose service is pleasing to Yahweh will be accepted and his prayer will reach to the clouds the prayer of the humble pierces the clouds and that's what you see you see pride in, in the first man praying what the, the example we read versus humility the prayer of the humble pierces the clouds and he will not be consoled until it reaches Yahweh he will not desist until the most high visits him and does justice for the righteous and executes judgment Sirach 7.10, do not be faint-hearted in your prayers. I wanted to talk a little bit about prayer since we're here. Do not be faint-hearted in your prayer, nor neglect to give alms. And, and we can think of Messiah in the parable of the unjust judge. Well, the woman just kept going to him day after day. You know, give me justice, give me justice. And he's like, no, 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 no. And after so long, he's like, all right. He's like, though I don't even fear, fear Elohim or whatever, um, I'm going to give this woman justice because she is, you know, you know, just she asks me all the time and I'm just I'm going to give it to her. You know, in, a, in a how much greater way our Heavenly Father, who is a just Elohim, if we continue to pray and not faint in our prayer and don't stop. So even uh, there's something in my life that I've been praying for for years and he hasn't answered. And we're going to keep praying because <laughs> one day it's just going to be like, and I'll be like, whoa, you answered my prayer. I've been praying for years. Hallelujah. How about you? Do you have any unanswered prayers? Are you like, why? You know, why don't you answer it? Sirach 7.14 Do not prattle in the assembly of the elders, nor repeat yourself in prayer. Be simple. Sirach 18.23 Before making a vow, uh, I think it says offering a prayer. Before offering a prayer, prepare yourself and do not be like a man who tempts Yahuwah. Sirach 28, 2-4, forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done, and then your sins will be parted when you pray. Does a man harbor anger against a, another, and yet seek for healing from Yahuwah? Does he have no mercy toward a man like himself, and yet pray for his own sins? So there could be something stopping it. Now, I, you know, I know a lot of people like to critique me, and a lot of people like to accuse me, so some people watch these things just so they can, you know, find something to accuse me, and they may say, well, Adam, maybe your prayer's not getting answered because you're a wicked man, or whatever. I will say, he is answered, I'm not sitting here sulking, because he's answered, like, almost all of our prayers, literally, almost all of them. There's just one or two that it's just like, you just, you know, can't have everything we want, right? Well this one prayer i hope he answers i really do i'm gonna keep it to myself matthew 6 5 through 15 and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen of men truly i say to you they have received the reward but when you pray go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you and in praying do not heat up empty phrases as the nations do for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, regardless of, um, you know, whatever we've been taught, that you've got to pray for hours and hours, and, you know, you got to pray all day, and whatever, 
Messiah, who is our greatest teacher. So even if, um, you know, even if um, we thought that, you know, the other way was right, he's saying, keep it short and simple. Your father already needs, knows what you need. Just come to him in sincerity and truth and be like, Father, please deliver me on this. But also, you know, keep in mind in your prayer, it shouldn't just be like a gimme, 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 gimme. We should come to his courts with thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you for the life. Thank you for the heavens and the earth you've created. Thank you for my beautiful family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for uh, whatever in your life. Be thankful, grateful, praise him, honor him. Pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Oh, this translation took out for yours is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever and ever. Yeah. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this... Hmm. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, did I have anything else? No, that was it. Okay. Let's not look at that chart anymore. Yucky. Yucky. Um, we're going to look at Natsarim 4.32. Natsarim 4.32. Regard each other as brothers, cherishing in sickness and supporting in trouble. Never praise yourself. And then, so that's what the that's what the um, self righteous man was doing when he was praying. Oh, I do this and I do that and la da da. Never praise yourself. And if you have virtues, let others discover them. And you don't have to be like, I'm humble, I'm meek. Look at me. I'm a commandment keeper. I'm a zitzit wearer. I'm a clean eater and I'm a feast keeper. What's going on? Never praise yourself. And if you have virtues, let others discover them, right? Be careful with whom you associate. For if a man enters a tannery, though he carry nothing away, a bad smell will accompany him. Back to Natsarim, we're at 1533. So he says here, uh, just to re remind us about 32. He who prays must be as one looking into a mirror, not with the expectation of seeing a gratifying reflection, but seeking an image revealing, revealing his faults. If a man put tinted glass before his eyes to enhance his image, thus putting out things he does not wish to see, he is not only a self-deceiver, but a fool unto himself. The charioteer does not overhaul his chariot to seek the strong points, but to discover the flaws. And if he did not put these right, he would risk his life. So this is actually a really good um, um parable um is that you know when looking when seeking to when, when seeking in prayer or seeking the father we should be finding out what what can i fix father what do i need to fix in my life not like hey i've arrived father i am here i'm your kodesh one i'm your holy one um and just boasting and whatever or even with our, our conversations with each other we should want our brothers and sisters to help us with hey Here's what you can't see that you're doing right now because everyone is right in his own eyes. We all think we're doing right. Sometimes we can catch ourselves if we're humble, if we're doing self-reflection. But we should be. We should desire correction. We should desire uh, to be corrected. We should because if we are wrong, now sometimes I we can all experience some people uh, incorrectly correct trying to correct us. You know, if if they try to correct something um, that 
opposite of what scripture says. So if you can say, hey, this is what you're saying, but this is what scripture says. So, uh, no, <laughs> right? You know, but if someone corrects you and you can verify it by the word or by other witnesses, like, yeah, you know, hey, you know, hey, uh, hey, Jeremy, um, yeah, what, what Brian said, yeah, he's, he's kind of right, bro. You know, sometimes you do this and this and this and yeah, I'm glad he said something because I, I wanted to, but I just, I honestly wasn't, uh, strong enough to say so. So, but yeah, you know, or if the word says, yeah, you know, you're wrong. You should be like, thanks. Wow. Thank you. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O Elohim, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You know, some of you are like, well, you already know you've got some things to fix. And see if there be any wicked in, any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because again, it shouldn't just be about like, oh, I feel like I'm on the right path now. And But what if you fall short at the end? Wouldn't you rather know now so you can fix yourself and have eternal glory? Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he that hates reproof is brutish, or some uh, translations say a little harsher word. It's a little more relevant to our modern day language. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scorner hears not a rebuke. Proverbs 13.18, poverty and shame shall be to him that refuses instruction, but he that regards reproof shall be honored. Proverbs 15, 12, a scorner loves not one that reproves him, neither will he go unto the wise. Proverbs 19, 25, smite a scorner and the simple will beware and reprove one that has understanding and he will understand knowledge. Isaiah 39 through 10, this is what the wicked say, that this is a rebellious people, lying children that will not hear the law of Yahweh because the law itself is a reprover. If you read the Torah, you'll be like, oh, Ooh, you right? I've been doing this wrong. Uh, let me fix myself before you, Father. Sorry. So they're like, uh, they will not hear the law of, of Yahuwah, which say to the seers or the prophets, you know, prophesy not, or, you know, see not, and the prophets prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. That's why, like, you know, Elijah was hunted down. Because they're like, don't, you know, don't prophesy us. You know, Ahab's like, ah, oh, I don't want to hear this. Right? Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Tell us what we want to hear. We should be the exact opposite. And let's go to Nazarene 15, 34. When eventide came and Yahushua sat with the apostles, one of them said, Master, we have given up all we have to follow you, and sometimes we get depressed. Yahushua said, The blows of life delivers our strengthening ones. And without adversity, men would become weak in Ruach. This is what we. This was all saying earlier. This is like what we see in the book of Judges, right? Caleb and and uh, and Joshua die, and then literally the next generation is like, eh, let's just go serve Baal and do whatever we want, because they had prosperity, they had everything they need, they did not lack bread, they did not lack any good thing. So, adversity came, and then they repented and came back to him, and a, ju- and, and a judge was sent and delivered them. And then they had peace, and then they fell into, you know, into, um, what's the word I want to think of? They fell into complacency. Without adversity, men would become weak in Ruach. That's another reason why we have these tests. That's why your life isn't just perfect. The reward I can offer is small compared with your rewards in glory. 
For here you are small, but in heaven you will be great. This is what we were saying earlier. This, it, this walk, everything we're doing is not about now. We're just, we're, we're being tested. We're, we're being refined. We're, we're, we're being sifted between the true and the untrue, between the just and the unjust, between the righteous and the unrighteous, between the sheep and the goats, between the wheat and the tares, between the, the hot and the cold. There the highest on earth shall be lowest, and the lowliest here shall be exalted there. This, however, does not follow as a natural sequence, but only providing the challenge of life is met as it should be and surmounted. Yahweh loves the lowly, the meek, the small. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, Yahweh did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because Yahweh loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, has Yahweh brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now remember, those of us who are in Messiah Yahushua are also the seed of Abraham. These promises are also to us. Judges 6.15, And he said to him, O oh, my, my master, wherewith shall I save Israel? This is Gideon. Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. This is who Yah chose out of all Israel. Manasseh, which was one of the, le the least tribes, and he was the least in his father's house. And he picked Gideon. He loves to exalt the humble, the meek, the lowly, the little. First Samuel, you know, the weak in body. You know, think about it, and like everybody thinks, uh, every, movies, cartoons portray Samson as this big, huge guy. Well, if he was this big, huge guy, why would Delilah and everyone else be completely puzzled as to where his strength come came from? Think about that for a second. He was probably—I'm not saying he was some you know little wimpy wimp, but he probably wasn't some you know big old muscular dude. He was probably just a regular guy. First Samuel nine twenty-one through twenty-two, and Saul answered and said, "This is when he was picked to be king." He's like, "Am, am I not a Benjamite?" Of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speak you to me? To me? He's like, why are you telling me I'm going to be king? It doesn't make any sense. and Because it doesn't make any sense in a worldly sense. And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place among them that were bidden, which were about 30 persons. First Samuel 16, 5 through 11. And he said, peaceably this is when he's come to this is when samuel came to uh, the house of jesse i have come to sacrifice unto yahuwah sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice and he sanctified jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice and it came to pass this is when he was told to, to choose one of the sons of uh, of jesse but he didn't know which one and jesse had eight sons right and it came to pass when they were come that he looked on eliab and said surely this is yahuwah's anointed or yahuwah's anointed is before him but yahuwah said unto samuel look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him for Yahweh sees not as man sees for man looks on the outward appearance but Yahweh looks on the heart then Jesse called Abinadab Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and he said neither has Yahweh chosen this then Jesse made Shammah to pass by and he said neither has Yahweh chosen this again Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse Yahweh has not chosen these. So is it seven plus these three? So it was Daniel, was David the eleventh or the eighth? Let me know in the comments what you think. Anyways, and Samuel said unto Jesse, Are all here your children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he keeps the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for he will not sit down until he comes thither. So 
He picked David, the littlest. And we know that, you know, when he defeated Goliath, he was just but a boy. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 8, Then the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. And I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Yahweh Elohim, behold, I can't speak for I'm a child. But Yahweh said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For you shall go to all that I shall send you. And whatsoever I command you, you shall speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says Yahuwah. Then Yahuwah put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And Yahuwah said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, and to build, and to plant. So, but the point is, actually, let me read one more. Matthew 4, 18-20, And Yahushua, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. So he could have easily picked the best of the best, the most learned in the scriptures, the Pharisees, the uh, Sadducees, whoever. People that literally lived and breathed the word day and night. The elite of the elite. But he didn't. He picked fishermen, simple fishermen. Acts 4.13, this is when the apostles were before the, uh, the judgment seat. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they were not super smart. They probably weren't very eloquent in their words. And they marveled and they took the knowledge of them that they had been with Yahushua. This is, these are the people that Messiah picked. And then that relates to us. Who are we? Why do we have this knowledge of the truth? Why has he entrusted it to us? He should have picked, you know, the 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 smartest of the smartest, the, the those of the doctorates and those who you know went through seminary and those who uh, have been pastoring all their lives. And First Corinthians one twenty six through twenty nine. For you see your calling, brethren. He's talking to you. He's talking to us, brethren. How not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But Elohim has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and Elohim has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, the, the, the lowly, right? The base things of the world and things which are despised has Elohim chosen. Yes, and the things which are not to bring to not things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So it just shows his might. It shows his glory when he uses, no offense, nobody's like us to put forth his message, to share the good news, to be the light of the nations. We should be the light of the nations after all. Verse 36, Natsrim 1536. The following day, Yahushua took Kepha, Yaakov, and Yochanan, three of the apostles, to a cave high up on the mountainside, where they remained in meditation for three days. On the third day, while seated in the cave, the others saw the whole body of Yahushua exude a light and become radiant, the colors being blue and white. They were astonished at such an inflow of power, for no other body could have contained it. Though manifesting in them also, it was much weaker. The three with Yahushua covered their eyes before the brilliance. For behold, the Malachi 4, 1 through 2, 4, Behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yes, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, says Yahweh Sabot, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch, this is talking about believers, quote-unquote believers. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. I actually read this um, a little early. This was supposed to be right here. And Yochanan said, Master, 
while the Ruach HaKodesh manifests in us as no more than a faint blue glow seen only in total darkness, your brilliance is like that of the sun compared with a pale star. Uh, so forgive me, I read uh, I read the, the Malachi passage a little early. Right? Unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Hallelujah. Um, all right. Back to Nazarene 1538. We're gonna actually gonna uh, we're gonna finish up here, and um, we're gonna finish up this chapter, and uh, we'll be done with the study this week. I right, stick around. I got a couple announcements. Keva said, "It is good for us to have seen this. For now, we know how poorly we compare with you." Yehusha said, "I do not teach things without purpose. The things I do are not beyond the reach of anyone. But keep these things to yourselves. I shall truly need all my power and strength to carry out the task ahead." What must be done will be done, not as I want it, but as the Father wants it. For now, I know the path I must follow and the ordeal I must undergo. Coming down from the mountain, Yahusha saw some disciples and two apostles in the midst of a crowd which parted to let Yahusha through. He found the apostles trying to heal a man who was deaf and dumb, but they could not, and the crowd was mocking them. Then Yahusha said, The man's ears are not fast, neither is the tongue without speech, but the ruach within cannot use them. Thereupon he strengthened the ruach of the afflicted man with his, and the man fell on the ground, foaming at the mouth and tearing at himself. Then the crowd drew back from Yahusha in fear, while the man's father abused him. But soon the man on the ground arose and walked away, and he could both hear and talk. Later the disciples asked Yahusha why he had succeeded when they had failed, and he said, These things are done through the power of the ruach HaKodesh, which is in the hand of Yahuwah. Men have it according to their capacity to hold it. But before it can come in, evil must be driven out. I do not teach abstinence from evil for some purposeless end, but to bring men to the recognition of their heritage. All men were once sons of Elohim, but they became bastards of Elohim without heritage because of wickedness, because of evil doing. I come to men so they may re-inherit and become true sons of Elohim. Praise Yah. That just reminds me of um, John 1, of a great passage. And he came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of Elohim, even to them that believe on his name. Hallelujah. One said, Master, while you were away, there was another here who healed and did the same things as you. But he was not of us, and we argued with him. He is a disciple of Shimon the sorcerer, who does many strange things, and the people listen to his words. Yahushua said, separate the words from the deeds, but good is good wherever whoever does it. Therefore, never speak disparagingly of anyone who does good. If he is not yet against us, he may be for us. Therefore, it is unwise to become angry in haste. So with that, brothers and sisters, uh, a couple announcements. Um, just want to share that um, registration is open for Passover. Please don't register on Shabbat and pay on Shabbat. Um, but for those of you that want to celebrate with us, uh, we will be uh, celebrating. We'll, we'll, we uh, we rent out a uh, 285, 295 acre um, private campground. So only us will be on that campground. It's right on the river. It's beautiful. Um, we put our big old um, you know tent out. It's where we get together for our meals and worship. And we don't just do the Passover meal. We actually celebrate the entire seven days of the unleavened bread feast. Uh, so we camp out, uh, you know, bring an RV if you got one. Uh, there's cabins and, and Airbnbs all around the uh, the campground around. Uh, or if you want to just do primitive camping, we got primitive camping. Would love to invite you out to do um, a real Passover. 
uh, and, I, and I pray that uh, we can feast together. I will say, um, doing the, the large feasts at Passover and Sukkot, hands down, the best times of my life. Um, because I believe you, you kind of see the culmination of what we are actually doing here. Um, it's one thing to, uh, it's nice to celebrate Shabbat, you know, um, especially with believers and, and get together in an assembly or, or, or home fellowships. Um, but there's something about getting a large group of people together and for like a week straight, just eating, sharing meals together, praising him together, worshiping him together, singing together, dancing together, uh, doing all sorts of family fun activities together. Because really, it's a glimpse of the kingdom. It really is. It's literally what we're going to be doing in the kingdom, but without, of course, sickness or, or, or ouchies or whatever. So I would love to feast with you. Uh, it's an open invite. would love to feast with you. And so if you just go to parableofthevineyard.com, the, the um, sign-up link is there. Um, what else? Hebrew Fest, mark your calendars, um, was an, another amazing time. June 20th through the 23rd. We'll also be camping out for like four or five days during that. Uh, but the music will be June 20th, the 21st, the 23rd. Yeah. 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Yeah. Sorry. Um, that'll, and, and by the way, it's, it's the, the Passover is going to be in Lebanon, Missouri at the campground. Uh, the uh, Hebrew Fest is going to be the same campground in Lebanon, Missouri. So, um, we don't have signups for for Hebrew Fest yet, but just wanted to make you aware. And uh, with that, let's pray. And we'll have we we'll have one song by uh, Left and Right Ministries, uh, Lyndon and Ruth. Uh, it's going to be uh, uh, was it is it called Making Me, or is it called Clean Heart? Is it Making Me a Clean Heart? Making Me. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Yahweh Most High, we just bless you and thank you again, Father, for letting us study together, study your word, and be diligent in searching out your matters, and be diligent in trying to walk as Yahushua walked. Father, would you bless us um, as we just continue to to, ref, to be refined, and we thank you for uh, the afflictions, we thank you for the trials, we thank you for the tribulations, we thank you for allowing us to draw closer to you, Father, and we thank you for more of the world being separated from our lives and, and our behaviors, Father. And we just ask that you bless each and every one of us uh, listening to this, and even those that don't, those that are calling upon your name, uh, believing in your Son, and walking in the commandments to the best of their ability. Father, would you bless us with your Ruach HaKodesh, even an extra measure, if you would, Father, uh, to help us, to guide us, to help us discern these crazy end times that we live in, Father, with so much deception, so many lies. Help us to see through it, Father, by your Ruach HaKodesh, and help us to be ready at the return of Messiah Husham. And help us to be, be not ashamed whatsoever, and to... Um, we just thank you for the opportunity to be your sons and daughters through Yahushua. Thank you for the Shabbat and this rest and uh, all that you provide for us, whether it be abundance or whether it be a little. In Yahushua's mighty name, Amen, Hallelujah, praise. Yeah. So this, a lot of this study was about, you know, uh, having a right heart, doing things for the right reason, having a heart for people. Um, this is, a, I think, a great song by Lyndon and Ruth, Left and Right Ministries. If you haven't listened to their music, um, I, I literally, I, I'm probably a little biased, but I think it's literally the best um, Torah music, whatever you want to call this movement. It's literally, I think it's the best music period out there. Um, so if you haven't subscribed, check them out, Left and Right Ministries. Shalom. <laughs>
steadfast spirit in me Making me a clean heart, oh God And renew steadfast spirit in me Do not cast me away from your presence Do not take your Holy Spirit from me From me Restore to me salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit that I Transgresses your ways And sinners will turn back to you That I may show Transgresses your ways And sinners will turn back to you Oh, yeah.